Good morning, Southlands Online. It's just fantastic to be with you. Um, we uh, have some people here. We have been meeting from 8.30 outside in the patio and uh, celebrating Jesus, and now it's just fantastic to be able to do that again uh, with some people in here and to you scattered around. I've heard people uh, listening and watching in New Zealand, in Australia, in England, in South Africa, in Canada, and it's just fantastic to be worshiping Jesus with you. That great missionary, E. Stanley Jones, when he came to Christ, said, when I first met Jesus, it was like swallowing sunshine. And, uh, you know, in this very dark time that feels like a dark night of the soul for many of us, uh, the happy discipline of coming under the Word of God, of lifting our gaze, of glorifying Jesus, and as Kirk said, putting our trust in Him again is like swallowing sunshine. We need it. We really need it. I need it. You need it. And so uh, that's why we have dived into the book called Philippians uh, in pursuit of resilient joy. And I'm going to pick up in uh, chapter 2, verse 19 to 30, and uh, the title of my message is Finding Joy in a Travel Itinerary. Verse 19 this is the Apostle Paul writing from a Roman prison to the church in Philippi, which is in present-day Turkey. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not of those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary though to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we've been away on vacation for a couple of weeks, and uh, we went up north to Northern California and then visited our son for his 21st birthday in Texas, where he's doing summer football practice. And one of the things that we find ourselves quite often doing as a family is talking about how the different generations respond to life. And in particular, this coronavirus situation and the race conversations and the economic troubles and, and, and all that we're facing, uh, we were talking about how the different generations face it. And uh, my daughter just said something really profound. She said, Dad, you know the difference between your generation and mine? Uh, and I'm Gen X and, and she's Gen Z. She said, your generation is mad at the world and my generation is sad at the world. I thought that was a profound truth. And whether you are Boomer or Gen Y, Millennial, uh, Gen X, Zoomer, I think we're all Zoomers right now, 
all of us find a joy deficit, don't we? And this letter that Paul writes is primarily helping a church that's under persecution uh, to find resilient joy. And this particular passage that I read is, is a curious one, isn't it? Because it's, it's not one of the famous ones. I mean, no one's favorite verse is in here. And the book of Philippians is so chock full of incredible promises. You know, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory and be anxious for nothing. The Lord is near and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, that's Nehemiah, but there are many, there are many promises like that. No one's favorite promise verse is in here. This passage is kind of like a travel log. It's like a, a travel itinerary. And there's a part of me that just wants to skip on so we can go to a better promise. Uh, and what's happening is Paul is in prison and the church has sent Timothy, his son in the faith, to minister to his needs. And he says, and Timothy has served me like a son serves a father. And, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm gonna send him back to you, but, but not now because I need him. And then he says, but, but actually you, you sent Epaphroditus. He's a brother, a worker, soldier, a messenger. And I think I'm gonna send him to you and you go, well, so what? What, what? what does that mean for my joy right now? But actually, Paul uses these words. He, he says, it'll spare you sorrow upon sorrow. It'll be good for your anxiety. And I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul is saying this travel itinerary actually connects to our joy or lack of it. So, so how? What's, what's going on? What is its importance? And to find its importance, we need to go back to the beginning of the chapter and do a little bit of a recap. So Paul begins chapter two by doing this incredible jam-packed theological instruction on Jesus' incarnation, that Jesus being very God did not consider godliness something to grasp for, but emptied himself. He poured himself out, becoming obedient to death on the cross, humbling himself, and therefore God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. This, is, this was actually one of the hymns of the early church because it was so full of the theology of the incarnation and exaltation of Christ. And then Paul carries on to say, and you should have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, that you should serve one another and be humble without grumbling, without complaining, have the same attitude. And so he's teaching about Christ and then he's instructing the Philippian church and our church about how to have the same kind of humble, servant, faithful attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to this travel itinerary. What on earth? And we actually find that Paul, in his letters, very often uses travel itineraries. He, he, but normally, they're right at the end. We've just finished the book of Romans, where in Romans 16, he sends greetings and says, you know, send me my books and send me my cloak, and I hope to come to you in winter. Why has Paul got a travel itinerary in the middle rather than at the end? I know you're all asking that question. Why? I'll tell you why. The reason why is Paul is saying these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, for the sake of brevity, I'll call them Tim and Epath, they are living examples of the humility and faithfulness of Jesus. And he's saying, actually, when people actually take Jesus' incarnation, his humble death, seriously and begin to live it out, it's for your and my joy. 
It will cheer you. It will spare you from sorrow upon sorrow. And we know, we've heard so often about the problem the world has with the church. It's not without Jesus. It's that it's with the hypocrisy of speaking about Jesus and not living him out. And Paul is saying, actually, these two men, not perfectly, but authentically live Jesus' humility out. And Paul has spoken in Philippians 1 of people that preach about Jesus, but actually do it through envy and selfish ambition. And he actually repeats it here in verse 20. He says, they all, they all seek their own interest, but Paul seeks the interest of Christ. Who's they all? They all are the people in chapter one who are preaching about Jesus, but not living it. And these are real, authentic examples of Jesus' humility and faithfulness. D.A. Carson, talking about this passage, says, you know, much of the Christian life, in particular Christian maturity, is taught. And Paul is teaching, he's instructing about who Jesus is and how to live out faith in Him. But he says, even more of the Christian life is caught. The Christian life is caught more than taught. And so what Paul is saying is, catch Christian maturity, Christian humility, Christian generosity. Catch these men who are pouring out their life for me and for you. It'll be for your joy. So what do we catch through these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Tim and Epaph. Well, we catch firstly that joy is a communal pursuit. Joy is a, is a communal pursuit. Remember that great quote by C.S. Lewis that joy is the serious business of heaven. But, but earth is a serious challenge to our joy, isn't it? And very often the challenge to our joy is people is people. And in the same way that Paul has these preachers of the gospel who are doing it out of selfish ambition, and it says, he says, they make my chains feel more painful. Conversely, Tim and Epaph are actually making his chains feel less painful. They are sparing him sorrow upon sorrow. They are cheering him. And I just want you to stop because if you've got a curious mind like me, I find myself going, but Paul, I thought you said that actually I'm to find joy in the Lord, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I thought you are saying that be anxious for nothing, the Lord is near. I thought my joy and my peace is supposed to come from the Lord. What's going on, Paul? And I think if you and I asked Paul, Paul, why are you so reliant on others for your joy and your peace? He would say something like this, Alan, I am finding my joy in the Lord and I am finding my peace in the Lord, but I am human, not superhuman. And as a human, I am created in the image of a communal God and therefore I am connected to others and they have an ability not to destroy my joy, but actually to take away from my joy or increase it. And actually these two men are actually increasing my joy and sparing me from sorrow. And beloved, you and I, are, we're made, we're created for community. 
And when we are in authentic gospel community, it has the power to halve our anxiety and double our joy. Joy is a communal effort. So what do we know about Tim and how he brings Paul joy? What we know about him is that he grew up in Lystra and he had a Greek father and what we know is that his father was absent. And he grew up with his mother and his grandmother and Paul came and preached the gospel in Lystra and and Timothy's mother and grandmother Lois and Eunice came to Christ, and then Timothy came to Christ, and Paul became a father in the gospel to Timothy. He filled a gap where Timothy's biological father had left a massive gap. And now, where Paul is in prison, Timothy seeks not his own interests, but the interest of this father in the faith. He serves my needs as a son to a father, learns to serve this father. And we can see Timothy's Christ-like humility in the way he serves Paul. You know, I think often when we think about humility, we think of thinking poorly about yourself. Oh, I'm worthless. I'm not gifted. I've got nothing. But, but biblical humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. Someone said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so Paul says that Timothy seeks the interests of Jesus and the interests of others, and that is for Paul's joy. And there is a kind of acronym that I want to use. It's not particularly profound, but it will be memorable. Because one of the reasons for our unhappiness is that we haven't learned to seek the interests of Jesus and others before ourselves. So I'm going to call out some people. Emma, won't you come? Some, one of the most joyful people I know. And you can take the J of joy. Stand up on the stage. Um, and then Landon, won't you come? And then I'm going to ask Lauren to come. Landon and Lauren. And you can take this, and you can take this. And hold it up. Open, open up that thing. Open it up. There we go. This is kind of a, a hopefully a memorable acronym for joy that we get from Timothy's humility, that he sought the interest of Jesus first, of others second, and himself third. And that was for great joy. And I want to say most of our unhappiness is because whether it's in our friendship circle, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our family, our workplace, even in our nation, is because you and I have flipped it around and we're reading it the wrong way. We're seeking the interest of myself first and then maybe others and then Jesus. And you know what that spells? Yodge! (laughs) Which doesn't sound good at all. It sounds terrible. And actually by the mercies of God, God empowers us to flip it the right way around, to seek the interest of Jesus, others, and then myself. And that is for others' joy and actually results in our joy first. Let's give these people a hand. Thank you, guys. Let's remember that. Even if it's not super profound, it's at least memorable. When you are on a day when you go, man, I have a joy deficit, just do a quick check. Am I seeking the interests of myself first? And it's pretty likely that we are. There's a guy in our church. I've asked him if I could tell the story, but he and I sat outside 
Whole Foods, his name is Ryan Melcher, about three months ago. And we sat with our camping chairs out in that beautiful sunken garden there. And we sat with about 15 men, most of whom were new in the church. And Ryan had actually called us and asked me to be part of it. And he sat and he, he told a story to these men. And he said, about six years ago, I came and I joined the gym at Southlands. He said, I would have never set foot in an actual church because I'm a Jewish man. And I'd had terrible experiences with Christians. In fact, he said, growing up, he grew up in Placentia, some so-called Christians burnt a cross on his front yard. A terrible, terrible way to represent Jesus. And so he had a picture of so-called Christians as hateful bigots. But he joined the gym, and his wife joined the gym, and there were two men, Neil and Kevin, who happened to be pastors in Southlands, who began to love him and love his wife. And his defenses began to melt. And his wife was the first person in the marriage to put her faith in Jesus. And they started to visit the church. But Ryan still had defenses up. And it took about three years, he said, Kevin and Neil and some others began to love me towards Jesus. And my defenses began to melt as I saw men who not perfectly but authentically were representing Jesus. And I'll never forget the night. It was the night before Easter Sunday. He called on the Saturday night and asked Renelle and I, could we go out for dinner? Now, you know, you just got to know, as a preacher, Easter Sunday is the Super Bowl. Like, you don't go out for dinner on that night, but it was Ryan. And they took us out to an Italian restaurant, and he just leaned across the table to me, and he said, Alan, I want you to know I love Jesus. And I know that Jesus loves me. And I know I don't have to give up my Jewishness, but I am a Jesus-loving Jew. It was just one of the highlights of my life. And he told this group of men outside Whole Foods, he said, you know, a few months after that, Neil left and went as a pastor to Southlands Fullerton. And then a couple of years after that, Kevin left and became a pastor at Southlands Whittier. And I didn't realize the kind of church I joined. It was a church that loved people, but also because of their love for the gospel, planted other churches. And he said, for a long time, I got very angry and very grumpy because my love needs not being met and he said I was in worship one day and I felt Jesus speak to me and say Ryan you have had other men meet your needs for love but actually there are plenty men who need you to meet their needs for love and he said that's why we're sitting here in this circle outside Whole Foods because actually some men met my needs for love and here I am to meet your needs for love I just thought that is Timothy, isn't it? That is putting the interests of others before ourselves. Joy is a communal effort. And a community that does this, not perfectly but authentically, has the power to halve one another's anxieties and double one another's joys. Let's be that kind of community. Secondly, joy is helped or enlarged by an apostolic culture. Now, this word apostolic is kind of a big and old word, a misunderstood word. Can you say that word with me, apostolic? apostolic? Now, when we think of apostle, we should firstly think of the 12 disciples who were called apostles, and then Matthias, who was added after Judas died. 
And then, of course, we think of Paul, the apostle. And apostles were people who preached the gospel, who advanced the kingdom, who planted and, and strengthened churches. Some of them wrote scripture. But to be apostolic does not mean you're an apostle with a big A. The word apostolos literally means sent one. And what we actually find in the Bible is that Tim and Epaph later on are actually called apostles. Not with a big A, but with a small A. In other words, Paul sent them to plant and strengthen churches as they preached the gospel. And here we see in this passage, even though Paul is in lockdown, and even though this church is facing all sorts of trouble and persecution, there is the sending and receiving. So he's saying, I think I will send to you, Timothy, but not now. And then, thank you for sending me Epaphroditus with that gift. He's ministered to my needs. I think I'm going to send him back as a brother, a worker, soldier, a messenger, a minister, and receive him because it will be for your joy. And I don't want to take too long on this point, but I want us to understand that apostolic culture where we all live in the commission of Jesus who said to the first apostles, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you every single one of us live as sent ones. That's why we've continued doing feeding and praying for people in our car park. That's why we've continued with the youth serving in a homeless shelter this week. That's why we've continued doing Alpha Online. Why? Because even though circumstances want to cause us to batten down the hatches, no, actually we are sent ones. We are apostolic. And our ability to send people and receive them is actually for our joy. I speak to pastors today and most of them are just in survival mode. And I don't judge any of them. All of us feel that to some degree. But what Paul is saying is one of the key ways to keep your joy up is to keep connected to the bigger picture where the gospel is advancing. When we have an apostolic culture, the church has a revolving door. We send people out and we receive them. We send people out and we receive them. And then we hear news of what God is doing and it cheers us up. I want to ask you, wherever you are, keep connected to the bigger gospel picture. That is why about a month ago we showed you stories of One Light, the church in Thailand that we planted about three uh, years ago, opening a church amongst the Yafu village where 20 people have become Christians the first 20 ever in that village in the hill country of Thailand. Why? It's not just to show the cool pictures. It's to keep you connected to the gospel that is growing and bearing fruit all over the world. Why? Because in our day, there is no good news. But Paul's saying that news will cheer you. I mean, how many of us watch the news and are cheered? Nothing. I mean, unemployment sky high and infection sky high and race tension sky high. I mean, I even saw in the news recently, they tested a squirrel in Colorado and it proved positive for the bubonic plague as if we needed more bad news. And then after that, they say, well, here's some little happy news. And they show this bear in San Diego Zoo who's learned the nunchuck is like a ninja in San Diego Zoo as if that's gonna help me. Those stupid little segments at the end. Here's a bear with nunchuckers. Actually, the good news that we need is not a bear with flipping nunchuckers. 
is actually that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit all over the world. We need that news. And that's why we need to be apostolic. Sending and receiving. We've just received a family from England via Maryland, the Coxes, Sam and Becky. I want to encourage you, receive them. Take them out for coffee. Take them a meal and ask them, what is God doing in Maryland? What is God doing in the UK? I need good news of the gospel bearing fruit. Phone Dan and Marsha in Thailand and say, how can we pray for you? Tell us of the good news. Join John and Kimmy as we launch into Santa Ana and that area. Even if you're not going to go there, visit because actually the gospel is advancing, growing and bearing fruit. Let's keep our apostolic impulse strong. Amen? It's for God's glory, but for our joy. And the final point is this, that there is a surprising joy in ordinary faithfulness when Christ is our focus. Timothy is well known, but, but Epaph is, is kind of an unsung hero. And I love the way the Apostle Paul describes him. My brother. So Timothy's a son. Epaph is a brother. So he's an older man. He's a fellow worker with Paul. In other words, he's apostolic. He's a fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. And then he describes how Epaph, taking a care package to Paul, got sick and nearly died. And that's why he calls him a soldier. He soldiers through when most would have turned home. And he gets to Paul with the care package and ministers to his needs, both practically and relationally. And then it says, and your messenger. What does that mean? It means that Paul is writing a letter, the very letter we are reading, and it returns home in Epaphroditus' hands. Beloved, can you think of the ordinary faithfulness of this man who just says, I've got a soldier through sickness, minister to this guy's needs, and take a letter home. Let me fulfill my duty to Jesus. He had no clue the implications of his ordinary faithfulness. That letter that he took in his home, as a, back home to Philippi, as a messenger, is the letter that millions of people over thousands of years have read and received joy. You do not know what your ordinary faithfulness can do in the hands of a faithful God. And I just sense the Lord whispering to us through the pages of Scripture, through the example of Epaphroditus. You do not need to be awesome. You need to be faithful. God is awesome. And He can do awesome things with ordinary faithfulness. And that is what the incarnation is about. Jesus' incarnation teaches us that for 30 years, He didn't do anything awesome. He was ordinarily faithful. But God worked it so powerfully because he was learning to be human. He was learning to be tempted in every way and yet without sin. All of these things that Jesus did ordinarily, learning from his, his parents, submitting, learning the scriptures, learning to pray, all of these things that were actually preparing him for awesomeness. We do not need to be awesome. God is awesome enough. We need to be faithful. And Paul lands with saying, honor such people as this. 
honor such people as this who risked their very lives to make up what was lacking in your service to me. Here's the deal. Epaphroditus' ordinary faithfulness was not boring. It was risky. Actually, that word risk, it's the word gamble. Paul is saying he gambled his whole life on serving. He gambled his whole life. I tell you what happens during this coronavirus season. You and I become risk averse. So we might be faithful. We might not be walking right away from Jesus, but we just become very risk averse with our hospitality, with our generosity, with our affection. I've found with my affection because I don't know how to be affectionate. I don't know how to show affection from behind a mask, social distance. So I just, I just start to hold it in. We've got to ask God for mercy and grace to continue to be riskily generous, hospitable, and affectionate within today's confines. Risk. Gamble your life on people. Let's ask God to break risk aversion off us for His glory and other people's joy. So as I land, I want to honor such people like this. People like Epaph, who just in ordinary risky faithfulness poured themselves out like Jesus did. You know, I think of Dina Thornton. And Dina, you might be sitting at home. You might be on vacation. I'm not sure. But Dina suffers with multiple sclerosis. And she comes every week with her cane, with a limp. And she comes and cleans surfaces. She comes and puts weeklies and giving envelopes in the backs of chairs. In this particular situation, her whole job has changed because there's no pockets in the back of chairs. But I've watched Dina do that ordinary faithfulness with a smile on her face for years. And Dina, I want to honor such people as you. I want to honor the media and music ministries. Some of you are sitting here. You come the earliest and you leave the latest. You have sung and played your hearts out to empty rooms and camera lenses. And I just, I just honor such people as you. You have been so flexible and so faithful. Dan and Rachel, you've led like absolute troopers. And it's been thankless. Been thankless. We honor such people as you. I think of people who have opened up their homes. Life group leaders who've been co-shepherds with the elders. This time, many of you are watching in your homes right now and you have risked your own health and the health of your kids by welcoming people and shepherding them and encouraging them and feeding them we honor such people as you thank you so much i think of william who week in and week out william many of you do not know him at all but he owns a film company that's actually pretty successful but it hasn't been very successful in the last four months and in a very difficult time, he's just said, I am giving my time and giving my equipment. I won't charge a cent. Thousands of dollars worth he has given. He's risked his business so that we could pre-record. William, we honor such men as you. We honor such women as Linda Fernandez, who is Ted's next door neighbor. And Ted is suffering very, 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 very difficult times for Ted. But Linda, in very practical ways, has served and helped us to serve Ted. 
Think of Sean Gorham who heard that Ted really was critically ill. And so got a bunch of guys together and they pooled their money together to buy an AC unit and they fitted it so that he could be comfortable in his illness. We honor such people as you. These are just examples and there are many more, Southlands, of people who have poured themselves out in ordinary faithfulness, bringing joy to others. I want to say that according to Scripture, there is no service to people that is not worship to God. There is no horizontal pouring yourself out in service to people that does not rise to God as worship. Paul says, I have been poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. In other words, he envisages the sacrificial altar as he's pouring himself out, it's rising to God. And it reminds me of the words of Jesus, what you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. Poured a drink of water to the least of these, it's actually worship to Jesus. So never allow anyone to rob you of the dignity of ordinary faithfulness horizontally to people that actually rises as worship to God. What you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Southlands, let's continue to worship Jesus by faithfully pouring ourselves out for people. Ultimately, Timothy and Epaphroditus or Paul, they are not the heroes of this passage. Jesus is. Their names are far below the name of Jesus. That is the name above every name. Epaphroditus poured out his life nearly to death. Jesus poured out his life rarely to death, fully, ultimately, his body broken, his blood shed, that you and I might be saved from our sin and spared in our sorrows. That's why we can entrust our lives to him, because he poured out his, his life in death, and he conquered sin and conquered Satan, conquered death, giving us hope and victory. So let's entrust our lives to Him and ask Him to empower us to live for others, seeking the interest of Jesus and others before ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus who flesh out Your example. Thank You, Lord, that we are not alone in our pursuit of joy that we are connected to others who are able to double our joys and harbor anxieties. We thank you for that. I pray that you would teach us to be the church in these days of scattering, that we would find ways to connect to others who are following you. We acknowledge we need them. We need them. And we ask for forgiveness for seeking our own interests before yours and those of others. Please, won't you help us, cleanse us, and empower us to put it the other way. J-O-Y. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing.